0: It is impossible to say how many men they have, but I think the proclamation will call many to their banner, which is a white field with a red border, a large star, and a grizzly bear, such as the flag of young California. In this episode of Ricky's Historical Tidbits, I will be sharing with you the very interesting, revealing, and unbelievable history of a man named William Leidestorff.
1: This is Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast, a show about the history of Northern California. Sure, people know about the mining, people know about 1849, and everybody knows the name James Marshall, but there's a lot more to talk about. Just the juicy history right here in NorCal alone. You ever heard of Snowshoe Thompson, Jay Parker Whitney? Horatio Gates-Livermore, the list could go on forever. And that's what this podcast is here to do. It's about preserving and showcasing the amazing history in NorCal. All the stories and entertainment, right here. This is Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast. And this is Ricky Mortensen.
0: Now, I hate commercials that show up in the middle of shows, so I'm going to spare you and just get the commercial out of the way right now. History is important. If you didn't agree with that, then you wouldn't be listening to my show. Hiding history and changing history for political gain is absolutely detestable and has dire consequences for the generations to come. Right now, in the United States, we're at a crossroads of what our history is. You may have heard of the 1619 Project, which has been proven false, but is still sweeping the nation, changing our history and creating a hatred for America. Values we all held dear just a few years ago are being labeled as hate in the wrong side of history. And so I want to introduce you to the Tuttle Twins books. These books are written for kids of all ages. They got books for babies, books for high schoolers, and they all help to teach all kinds of things like how the Federal Reserve works, how a democratic republic works, and so on. They recently came out with a new book called America's History, and it covers from 1215 to 1776. This book comes with a workbook, an audiobook, and special bonus videos all for free. Please go and check it out and buy it for your kids or your grandkids, nieces or nephews, or even yourself. The website is TuttleTwinsTidbits.com. Again, that's Tuttle T-U-T-T-L-E twins tidbits.com.
1: You're listening to Ricky's historical tidbits podcast. Here's your host, Ricky Mortensen.
0: St. Crow Island is in the Virgin Islands, which is in the Caribbean. This island back in the day was ruled by the Dutch. There was a guy there who was a sugar plantation manager, a Jewish Dutch guy, who met a mixed lady who was mostly Spanish with a little creole and Caribbean blood in her. She and this sugar guy had a few kids together, and one of them was William. William grew up on St. Crow and was very well educated. He was proficient in business, law, language, Soon, when he was old enough, he was sent to the land of opportunity to start a career in shipping over in Louisiana. This was in the 1830s, by the way, before the Civil War. Leidestorf, being mostly white, had no problem with anyone regarding his race, except with his girlfriend in New Orleans. She and him were engaged, and he decided to tell her that he was part black, which freaked her out, and they threw the wedding off. She died not long after that, some say from shock. Well, he captained a ship out of New Orleans for a little longer, sailing all over the place from New York all the way to the Sandwich Island, which we call Hawaii today. One day, he was laid off when he was in ports in Yerba Buena, Alta, California, which we call San Francisco today, and he had to make a choice at that point. Yerba Buena was not all that grand, just a basic old town with a couple hundred living there. The choices were to find a new ship to captain, or take a risk and try his hand at business, and so he did that. He was smart, and he had a side hustle while he was a ship captain selling hides and beef tallow, which got him enough money to buy a plot of land, and the next year, he built a warehouse. Being in Alta, California, he was in Mexico, not the United States, and Mexico gave away land to everyone who became citizens of Mexico but you have to have lived there a year or so. And so when the time came, William went over to claim his land. He was given a nice piece of land right over by the American River called Rancho Rio de los Americanos, way inland from Yerba Buena where he had built his businesses, but he gladly took it with visions of ranching there. And so William set out to New Helvetia, which is the name Johann Sutter had named what we now know as Sacramento. There he met Johan, and seeing as their properties connected, they set out on horseback to check it out and basically just make sure they were both on the same page on where each other's invisible fences were. Johan and William did lots of business together. In this time period, actual money was a no-go. It was almost all bartering. Some trades were money like pesos or francs or dollars, but many a time it would be hides, chickens over land, food, and even slaves. One time, Johann Sutter paid William Leidesdorf in slaves for a debt that he owed him, and Leidesdorf, of course, accepted. Slavery was common and no big deal for most people back then. Sutter was kind of known for his Indian slaves, though. Anyways, let's move on. William built the first hotel in Yerba Buena, and he named it the City Hotel. This hotel was one of the things that brought William to high standing as it was extremely profitable and he hosted all kinds of parties and shows at the hotel. In fact, it was William Ladisdorf that hosted the first minstrel show on the West Coast. If you don't know what a minstrel show is, basically it's a comedy show of people in blackface. So yeah, that happened. But he also brought one of the most fun sports of all time to California as well. Yes, my big hat-loving friends, horse racing was introduced to California by Mr. William Leidestorf. Now, around this time, more and more Americans were coming over. This was before the gold was discovered, so not a ton of people, but San Francisco, for example, had a whole thousand people now. William and some of his friends knew the importance of education, and he helped start the first school and sat on the school board. Along with that, William was on a few different committees for the city and also the city treasurer. But all that had to be put on a halt for a year, because Consul Larkin of the United States of America to Mexican California appointed him to be vice consul, as tensions between Mexico and Californians were brewing. Americans were coming to California but had no interest in becoming Mexican citizens. There was no dual citizenship back then, so you had to renounce your American citizenship and become a Mexican, which William did so that he can get that land grant, but he always stayed loyal to America, which is why he was appointed vice consul. By the way, a consul is similar to an ambassador but more localized. That's basically what it is. Well, potential war with Mexico was on everyone's minds. And in fact, there was a war with Mexico in 1846. Not really fought in California, but people in California were afraid the Mexicans would try to take back control of California. And so, over in Sonoma, people declared California as its own country, the Republic of California. William wrote to his boss, Consul Larkin, these words. It is impossible to say how many men they have. But I think the proclamation will call many to their banner, which is a white field with a red border, a large star, and a grizzly bear. Such is the flag of young California. William was not for this bear flag revolt, as it's known. He wanted California to be part of the United States. And he worked hard getting everything situated so that in Sonoma, when the United States military showed up, they took down the bear flag and raised the United States flag, shutting down the bear flag revolt and claiming California for the United States. Williams' main role in that was to translate the proclamation of Commodore Sloat into Spanish so that everyone knew what was going on. Over at Sutter's Fort, a U.S. flag also was raised. Now this is what the proclamation said, and yes, I'm going to read the whole thing. Quote, To the inhabitants of California... The central government of Mexico, having commenced hostilities against the United States of America by invading its territory and attacking the troops of the United States stationed on the north side of the Rio Grande and with force of 7,000 men under the command of General Arestia, which army was totally destroyed and all their artillery, baggage, etc. captured on the 8th and 9th of May last. By a force of 2,300 men, under the command of General Taylor, and the city of Matamoras taken and occupied by the forces of the United States, and the two nations being actually at war by this transaction, I shall hoist the standard of the United States at Monterey immediately, and shall carry it throughout California. I declare to the inhabitants of California that although I come in arms with a powerful force, I do not come among them as an enemy to California. On the contrary, I come as their best friend. As henceforward, California will be a portion of the United States, and its peaceful inhabitants will enjoy the same rights and privileges they now enjoy, together with the privileges of choosing their own magistrates and other officers for the administration of justice among themselves." and the same protection will be extended to them as to any other state in the Union. They will also enjoy a permanent government under which life, property, and the constitutional right and lawful security to worship the Creator in a way most congenial to each one's sense of duty will be secured, which, unfortunately, the central government of Mexico cannot afford them, destroyed, as her resources are, by internal factions and corrupt officers, who create constant revolutions to promote their own interests and to oppress the people. Under the flag of the United States, California will be free from all such troubles and expense. Consequently, the country will rapidly advance and improve both in agriculture and commerce, as of course the revenue laws will be the same in California as in other parts of the United States, affording them all manufacturers and produce of the United States free of any duty and all foreign goods at one quarter of the duty they now pay. A great increase in the value of real estate and the products of California may also be anticipated. With the great interest and kind feelings I know the governments and people of the United States possess toward the citizens of California, the country cannot but improve more rapidly than any other of the continents of America. Such of the inhabitants of California, whether natives or foreigners, as may not be disposed to accept the high privileges of citizenship and to live peaceably under the government of the United States, will be allowed time to dispose of their property and remove out of the country, if they so choose, without any restriction or remain in it, observing strict neutrality. With full confidence in the honor and integrity of the inhabitants of the country, I invite the judges accolades, and other civil officers to retain their offices and to execute their functions as heretofore, that the public tranquility may not be disturbed until the government of the territory can be more definitely arranged. All persons holding titles to real estate or in quiet possession of lands under a color of right shall have those titles and rights guaranteed to them, All churches and the property they contain in possession to the clergy of California shall continue in the same rights and possessions they now enjoy. All provisions and supplies of every kind furnished by the inhabitants for the use of the United States ships and soldiers will be paid for at fair rates, and no private property will be taken for public use without just compensation at the moment." End quote. Later on that day, Mr. Leidesdorf flew the Stars and Stripes on top of his city hotel back in San Francisco and hosted Commodore Sloat and his men to celebrate. William was relieved. His duty as vice consul after this was no longer needed, and he could go back to building his businesses. Now, William was mostly a San Francisco guy. Most of his business was done there, but his cash cow was that ranch in the Sacramento area. His workers, and maybe slaves out there, would kill the cow and process it into hides and tallow. And, of course, meat, but it was the tallow and the hides that were the most money. Plus, hides were a form of currency, so he had a printing press of sorts, if you want to look at it that way. Anyways, just like today, people in San Francisco rely on those in the Valley for their food and stuff like that, while the Valley relies largely on factories and technology from the city. So trade between these two places were always going on, and William knew that it needed and could be improved. San Francisco and Sacramento are connected by water, and though it's got a bunch of twists and turns in it, it's possible to make the trip. William wanted it to be a fast trip, not a long one. It takes about three days by wagon or horse to get from one place to the other. Being a ship captain, he knew it could be done, so sent in an order to Russian Alaska for a small steamship. It was originally built to transport Russian dignitaries, but it was for sale, and so it was sent down to William Leidesdorf. This was the first steamer in the bay ever. It was a sidewheeler and powered by a train engine. It was small, somewhere between 34 and 37 feet long, and it could carry about nine people, but they had to be careful not to move too much because the ship was top-heavy and could tip over at any moment. After sailing it around San Francisco a while, William set sail on his super-fast voyage to Sacramento, but it was ridiculously slow. Maybe it was the engine wasn't strong enough, or maybe it was just bad luck. Whatever it was, the trip took six days everyone on board especially william was irritated at how slow this trip was one guy said that he had gotten off the boat seven miles from sacramento and simply walked and got there seven hours before the ship did who knows if that's true but that's pretty funny eventually the ship went back to san francisco but to its luck a big ship was making waves and the waves were too much for the little steamer and it sank William Leidestorf was described as intelligent, fairly well-educated, a polygot, enterprising, public-spirited, and honorable, but also quick-tempered, jealous, and quarreling. And one day, William got sick. He was 38 years old and in good health, but he had gotten a cold, or so he thought. William thought that he'd be fine, but ended up dying from typhoid fever, When his death was announced, all flags were flown at half-mast, and he was interned at Mission Dolores. Now here comes the life lesson for all of you. William Leidesdorf never married, had no kids, and he didn't have any relationship with his family after he'd left the island. He didn't have any kind of will, and so his old boss, Consul Larkin, took responsibility to deal with the huge estate, which was the largest of all California at this point in time. But soon, it was realized that William never became a United States citizen. And so nothing could be done legally on his end. So the state tried to take control of it, but it was blocked by the courts. Eventually, some guy got it, and there was a petition within a year to get him removed, and so that happened. Then another guy got it, and then another guy got it. Then Folsom came on the scene. Captain Folsom saw this legal spaghetti and thought he'd try something risky. William was a Mexican citizen. The estate was on American land. The only known potential heirs were all the way in the Caribbean, so Folsom traveled to the island and met with Williams' mom and brothers and sisters that still live there. Folsom gave her the numbers that he had figured, and they all agreed that she inherited 50%, and the brothers and sisters inherited the other 50% together. And then they came to agreement to sell the land and the estate to Mr. Folsom for $75,000. Folsom went on to pay them in three installments, but before all the money could be accepted, others traveled to the island and told Mama Ladistorf that she'd been duped. She was mad, as you could expect, and tried to cancel the deal. So Folsom and Mama Leidestorf went to court and battled it out. The argument on Folsom's side was that there was a ton of debt, about 40000 of which, in the estate, as well as issues in San Francisco with the fire having just destroyed the city hotel, which was true. Mama Leidestorf argued that Folsom had lied about the amount even so, and she agreed to the deal based on that number, which was about half of what was more accurate. The court case went on for a while, but eventually he won the case and immediately became one of, or possibly the, richest men in California at that moment. But it didn't end there. Folsom had to fight for every little piece of property in court. Some lasted years and years. Folsom himself died at the same age as William, 38 years old. The court case over the Rancho Rio de los Americanos outlived Folsom. Now to recap. William Linusdorff was, at the least, 75% white, passed as a white guy everywhere he went, and while that doesn't matter, it's funny to know that he's known today as being an African founder of California when he wasn't even from Africa. At the most, he was 12.5% Creole, 12.5% Carib Indian. He was a pro-America man throughout his life in the midst of slavery, and helped California become part of the United States. He envisioned San Francisco as a great potential for a city and speedy delivery between San Francisco and Sacramento. All in all, he was a very smart businessman who unfortunately did not think of death enough, and without a will, left his estate up for grabs, which is not a smart thing to do. If you don't have a will, I urge you to get one today. You never know when you'll die. You don't want the state to decide what happens to your stuff. Whether you're the richest man in California or you're an 18-year-old with nothing but an iPhone to your name, you need a will. And you can get one at uslegalwills.com slash Ricky. Again, that's uslegalwills.com slash Ricky.
1: You've been listening to Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast. When you go to school and study history... They give you dates, they give you some names, and that's about it. But there's a lot more to California history, and that's where this show comes in. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show, and we hope you were entertained. And we'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Busy underscore Ricky. Find us on Facebook at Ricky's Historical Tidbits. Till next time, this is Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast, signing off.